Well, it is my privilege and honor to be able to introduce our guest speaker this morning. Jean and Rhonda Roncone are here. They are our, our network pastors now. You're going to have to forgive me. I'm, I'm a dinosaur. I said that earlier. So it's real hard for me to call you a network pastor. I'm still used to superintendent, and I'm still used to, like, Rocky Mountain, not ministry network, but something. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of hard, but... But uh, I like the fact that we don't call our, our superintendents superintendents anymore. We call them network pastors. And the reason we do that is because really, if you really break it down, Gene and Rhonda are my pastors. You know, they're, they're who I turn to. You know, hopefully you guys look to me and, and I look to them. So if, if I'm being bad, you know, they, they come yell at me, you know. So everybody has that guy or gal over them that keeps us in line. But uh, they are our guest speakers this morning. Uh, Gene and Rhonda have, have ministered for a number of years. They were the pastors at, at High Point Church in Aurora for 17 years before he and she moved into this new role with our district. And, um, you know, I, I, this isn't my first rodeo, and since I got the mic, I'm going to do this whether it embarrasses him or not. Um, and and I've, I've served under some great, great network pastors, but since since. Gene and, and Rhonda have taken over this role. It's been a really an amazing transformation. Not that before wasn't good and, and, and well, but um, really seen a lot of amazing things coming out of our district, and um, it's really been a neat time, even throughout all the COVID stuff that's been kind of difficult over the last 18 months or 20 months now. Uh, it's been a real honor to be able to serve under you and to be able to follow your leadership and uh, I'm excited about what God has in store for, for Colorado and Utah coming forward in the next several years. So uh, Gene is here, and we're excited to hear what God has placed on his heart. So please welcome with me Gene Roncombe. Thank you, Pastor. Bless you, buddy. It's good to be here with you. How are you folks this morning? Are you doing good? Did you know that you're part of something special? Uh, this morning... There are 44,000 people, Assemblies of God people, in Colorado and Utah, uh, 600 ministers and nearly 170 churches, all worshiping in 18 languages of the world. Isn't that cool that we are all part of something bigger than ourselves? And if you think God's a big God, say amen. Uh, great to be here with your pastor, Pastor Aaron and Emily. Uh, how many of you know October is Pastor Appreciation Month? How many of you know that all through the nation? And uh, it is an honor for me to see all the spiritual water carriers of this network ministering faithfully week after week uh, to their churches. So will you let your pastor know how much you appreciate the hours and the time that he puts in? Go ahead and give him a round of applause and let him feel your love this morning. How many of you are grandparents? Come on, shame the devil, tell the truth. Any grandparents here? I am an unashamed grandfather. And uh, if, if you have grandkids, we have five right now, one more on the way. Uh, you know that there is a big difference between watching one grandchild and five grandchildren. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I, I mean, one grandchild is kind of like, it's, it's slow, it's fun, you know, my, uh, I remember we had one grandson, our first grandchild, and we would go through, the, he was in this Spider-Man craze, and he would, uh, he would shoot webs at me, we'd walk through the neighborhood, and, and I had to fall down, I mean, he made it clear, 
I had to fall down. And so we walked all through the neighborhood. Uh, every 10 feet, he'd shoot me with a web. I'd fall down. And the neighbors are like, who is that fat guy having a heart attack every 10 feet, right? And then, now, then we had all the grandkids over. And uh, my wife and I, the, our kids left a number of years ago, went to college. And, and uh, we downsized into this little ranch. And, um, you know, we thought this is great. And then they all came home. How many of you know kids do that? And so our kids are home. Our grandkids are here. We, uh, we made the basement. We call it Kids Club. All the kids came over. And, and it is amazing. Uh, how many of you know you see the temperament of your grandkids when uh, my grandkids, they love to wrestle. And they come over the house. And I have, uh, as I said, I have five grandkids. My oldest is Micah. He is, he is the polite. He's the kind one. He wants to wrestle, but he says, Papa, let me take your glasses off so we don't break your glasses. And then I have two twin grandsons, Judah and Levi. And, uh, and, and Levi, he's the, he's the bruiser. I mean, he's, he wants, Papa, he says, Papa, let's wrestle. That's how he says wrestle. Let's wrestle. So we go down the basement. All the grandkids circle around me. Levi goes for the double leg takedown right away. He just, he just goes and, and goes for the double leg takedown. Mike is all worried about my glasses. He pulls my glasses off. Uh, Judah, uh, Levi's twin brother, he kind of hangs out on the edge. You know, he waits him down and he comes and gives me a good swift kick, you know, and, and jumps on my back. Now, now my little granddaughter, Eliana, She's the one you got to watch out for, my little Hispanic granddaughter, Eliana. She goes, they have all kinds of toys. And right when I'm down, she runs to the little tyke tool chest, pulls out a plastic screwdriver, and shanks me in the kidney. She's like, welcome to the neighborhood, Vato. And, and i got to tell you, there are times, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Let's just be honest. It is exhausting with kids. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Come on. And, and, and man, like they just wear you down. It is like, you know, the kids come over, they spend uh, four or five hours. By 6.30, I'm looking at my watch, I'm like, where are our kids to pick these grandkids up? It is late. It is late. They just wear you down. How many of you have been there? Mothers, grandparents, your kids have worn you down. Let me hear it. Come on, clap your hands and let me know you're there. Yeah, and you know, sometimes, sometimes life is like that. Sometimes life just keeps coming wave upon wave and, and, and crisis upon crisis. And, and if we're going to be honest with ourselves, we'll say that there are times that life demands of each and every one of us more than we have to give. There are times that, that our needs have exhausted our resources. There are times in our life that, that we just say, God, if I get one more blow, one more thing is going to take me down. How many of you know that there are times in our life that we face humiliation and shame and we need an answer that is above ourselves, beyond ourselves, greater than our resources, than our wisdom? There are times we just need miracles. Well, can I talk to you about miracles this morning? What I'd like to do is I'd like to turn to the Scriptures and, and I'd like to talk to you to turn our, our, our focus towards heaven. You know, we've been through a very difficult season in our nation and church history. And one of the things that concerns me looking at the church from the top of the mast is we are looking at everything except God. Sometimes I think we're looking for our own abilities. We're looking for government to solve our problems, other people to solve our problems. And sometimes I think that God's people forget that we need miracles in our life. Have you ever been there where you've needed a miracle? 
Well, what I want to do is I want to draw you to a portion of Scripture this morning in our time, and I want to answer three very simple questions, okay? Just three questions. I want to answer the question number one, why do we need miracles in our life? I mean, why do we need solutions that are above ourselves? Secondly, I want to talk to you about how do we, how do we posture ourselves in a way that when we need a miracle, God is, is available and we are hearing from Him and able to receive those miracles. And lastly, I want to answer the question, what happens in my life and in your life when miracles happen? You see, we in the West, we look at miracles different than believers in anywhere else in the globe. We think God does miracles for us. We think miracles come to our life with a one-way ticket to our doorstep. And the Bible shows us that God's purpose for miracles in our life is much bigger than you, your checkbook, your crisis, your health crisis, whatever it might be. But, but before we get there, let's, uh, let's turn to the Scriptures. And I want to kind of set the stage for you. Can I do that? Because we're going to pull up on the scene. And, and I want you to see what is happening here. Uh, we're coming to this portion of Scripture in Luke chapter 5. And I'm going to read it in a moment, but, but in Luke chapter 5, we find the disciples, they had been fishing all night. Now, these are professional fishermen. Are there any people that like to fish here uh, in, in the crowd? One person, one person likes to fish. Just stretch your hand. Let's pray for that person right now. Dear Jesus. And, and so they're, they're fishing all night. They come up empty-handed. They, they give up. They go to the shore. They're cleaning their nets. Jesus is teaching from the shore, and the crowd... The crowd just starts getting larger and larger. And I'll imagine it, it, where you're at. And, and, and this is the stage is the ocean. And, and Jesus is stepping back and stepping back. And finally, finally, there's no more room. And he has to step in some of the boats that are there on the shore. And this is what happens. Let's turn to, uh, to, to Luke chapter 15, uh, verses 1 through 11. This is what the scripture says. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he said to him, put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Simon, put out into deep water. Everybody say together, say deep water. Put out into deep water and let the nets down for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've been doing this all night. Now, can I just say, uh, there are times that you and I, we become a PhD in our problem. God wants to do something new in our life, and we say, Lord, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm a professional f fisherman. I've been doing this all night. And, and we try to, if you, have you, I do this at times. Do you ever explain to God your problem? Because he doesn't really understand, you know. And so we have to tell him how big our problem is, right? We try to tell God. And so Peter says, Master, I've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, because you say so, I will let down the net. The Scripture says here is everything changes in verse 6. Well, hold on to your seat. This is, this is powerful. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. So, so their nets are breaking. They're pulling. Now they're, they're waving their friends over. All night they've been doing this. They couldn't catch a thing. They're waving their friends over to help them. And then the Scripture says, both boats were so full that they began to sink. Now we have two boats sinking 
a bunch of boats empty. Jesus speaks into the situation. One boat is filled. The other boat is filled. Now they're both, now they're both sinking. And, and, and finally, Simon Peter gets it in verse 8. Simon Peter saw this. He fell to his knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that he had taken. Can we say astonished together this morning? Come on, just say it out loud. Say astonished. Have you ever been astonished? I mean, think about it. These people went from a, a, a position of being failure, empty nets, all night working, and now they're just, man, God, you, you did this in my life? And it says that, this is what the Scripture says, it says, for he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Peter's partners. And when Jesus, then Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. Isn't that interesting? Do not be afraid. You know, sometimes I think we, you and I are afraid to allow God to do miracles in our life because we don't want to deal with the responsibility of full, of full boats. Sometimes we're afraid to let God speak into our life because we have become addicted to the dysfunction of routine and we're not really ready for the miracle on the other side. So Jesus confronts Peter's fear and he says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Now, verse 11, if you've got a, a Bible or if you've got your app there, go ahead and highlight this verse. It's so powerful. It says, they pulled up their boats on the shore. They left what? What does it say? They left everything and followed Him. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to draw our attention to God. I think if there's one thing that concerns me about the church right now is our attention is everywhere except for God. It's on politics. It's on a pandemic. It's on our problems. It's, it's on our victim. We have become PhDs in our own problem. We're like, we're like Peter, Lord, I know you can, but, but listen, I've been doing this all night. I'm a pro at this. I'm a, I'm a professional. So I want to answer those three questions this morning. Why do we need miracles? How do we qualify for miracles in our life? And thirdly, what happens when God begins to fill the boats of our life? I want to look at that first one. Why do we need miracles? You know, the interesting thing about this passage is the disciples went through something that you and I often go through. We need miracles because there are times in our life we lose the will to carry on. It says here that they were, they were mending their nets. They were fixing their nets. Luke chapter 5 says they're washing their nets. The exact same passage, the parallel passage in Mark chapter 1 says they're mending their nets. What does that mean? That's, that's what you did at the end of the day when you were done. They were done. We worked hard, we labored all hard, we've given the best that we can do, they, they've lost the will to carry on. They're, they're at the water's edge, they're fixing their nets, they have, they have given up on this. You know the, the Bible says, Proverbs says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. You want to learn something powerful about discouragement, about, uh, about helplessness. Did you know that, that it is now a statistical? We know that, that when we are pessimistic, it is a learned trait. Do you know that? Do you know that when you decide to give up, you decide that you were not, you were not born a pessimist. God has breathed life into you. And, and something happens when we learn to be helpless. You learn to be helpless when you come to the conclusion that nothing you can do will change the outcome. Psychologists tell us that three things happen when a person decides that they're going to be helpless. 
Number one, the first thing is they, they explain bad things in their life as personal. It becomes personal. You know, your, your boss walks by you, your boss doesn't say hi at work, and you go, see, he doesn't like me. It's personal. Everything, it becomes personal. Life. The second thing psychologists tell us when we come to uh, this place of learned helplessness is it becomes pervasive. Our problems become pervasive. We see them everywhere. Yeah, we might have had a bad day at work, but we don't confine it to work. We say, no, my life's a mess. We allow our problems to spill over into every area of our life instead of one little area of our life. The last thing that happens in our life when we become when we learn helplessness is, is we explain bad things not only in a personal and a pervasive, in a permanent way. We see that it's always this way. How many of you have raised teenagers in this room? What do they do? They use the word never, never. I remember my teenage daughter, Dad, I need you to co-sign for a car. I'm like, excuse me, I do not co-sign for cars for 16-year-old kids. You never do that, right? She stomps upstairs all mad like something's wrong with me, right? And so here, here is where the disciples are in this cruel classroom coming to the conclusion that they have lost the will to carry on. They're mending the nets of their jobs. They're mending the nets of their marriage. They're mending the nets of their addiction because they have decided they can't go forward. Sometimes you and I need miracles in our life because we lose the will to carry on. We lose the will to make that relationship work. We lose the will to surrender our finances to God. But there are other times we need miracles in our life for other reasons and that is there are sometimes we see here in this passage that, that our best effort isn't good enough. I love what Peter says when Jesus says, you know, push out into deep waters. Lord, I've tried that. I've done that. We did it all night long. Matter of fact, the word that Peter used in his language meant exhausted. I am mentally exhausted. I haven't caught anything. Lord, my best effort wasn't good enough, and you who are a carpenter are now telling me, a professional fisherman, to push out into the water. There were times in our life that you and I need miracles, not only because we've lost the will to carry on. There are times we need miracles because we've given our best, and the marriage is still a mess. We've given our best, and the job still isn't fulfilling. We've given our best, and we still can't beat that addiction. And there are times that we need a solution that is above ourselves. Come on, let's shame the devil. How many of you know that's true? So sometimes we need these miracles in our life because we've given everything. We've tried to make that business work. We've given it. We've given the time. And, and the fact of the matter is life doesn't work. We're shocked at that today. Life doesn't work. Yeah, if life worked, you would not need Jesus. Can you, can you say amen to that? There are times that problems are bigger than you. There are times that obstacles have demand more than you can give. And there's something else I want you to see before we move on to the second question. Why do we need miracles? Because sometimes we just know there has to be more to this life. Now there's one little word here. Uh, Peter said, Lord, I, I, I've, I've worked hard, worked hard. He used the word that meant I've worked myself into exhaustion. Lord, I've, I've given everything I have. There's nothing left to give. But then he says, but, because you say so. Can all of you say but? Say it with me. Say it out loud. One more time. Come on. One, two, three. But, but, three letters. But because you say so, Lord. Lord, I've become a PhD in my problem. I have, have you, how, many of you, how many of you have met people that they have become addicted 
to their problem. Come on, how many of you know? They're so negative, they're so pessimistic, they are convinced there's no way out, they can't get out, and and they don't come to this place like Peter where they say, Lord, I've tried everything, I've given everything, but i got a feeling there's more to what I have. But because you say so, Lord, because you say so, I will... I will step out. I will push out into deep water. Sometimes we have to suspend our professional judgment. We become doctors in our problem. And if God is going to do a miracle in your life, you've got to come to the point that you realize your best effort, you need more than that. You need more than you have to give. But you've got a, you've got a feeling there's got to be more than torn nets in your life. You've got a feeling there's got to be more than exhausting yourself at the oars. You have a feeling there's got to be more than going through the dysfunction of routine day after day, getting up, going to work, to pay the bills, to get up. And Peter says, Lord, but because I have a feeling, I have a feeling there's more, I'll do what you say. So now we've answered this question, why we all need miracles in our life. The second thing I want you to see, the second question I want to answer is, is how do we qualify for miracles? Uh, we, we say, well, believe me, if God's going to do a miracle, we would always know. Have you ever heard anyone, anyone say, can I say to you, uh, I pastored my first church at age 22. And I can tell you, in all these years of ministry, I know Christians, they wouldn't know a miracle if it slapped them in the back of the head. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? I, I mean, remember, you remember Jacob woke, woke up And he said, surely the glory of the Lord was in this place, and I knew it not. So how do we know when God is about to do a miracle in your life? How how do we know when we are exhausted and mending our nets and sewing together the torn pieces of our lives that we are ready for a miracle? I think there's a couple things I want to bring to our attention this morning before we, uh, before we wrap things up, and, and that is that, that we have to be postured in a position of, of desperation. You know, if you look here in this passage, you, you find that these, these men came to a point where they had given all of themselves. And, and I want to say to you today that, that one of the drawbacks we have in Western culture is we think it's all about us being smart enough being ahead of the problem, having enough resources. And I want to tell you today, if you're facing a crisis in your life and you need a miracle, if you still think there's other things you can do, you're not ready for a miracle this morning. In a while, I'm going to ask all of you that are here today if you're ready for some kind of a miracle in your life that you need. And I want to tell you, miracles don't happen to people that are confident in their own abilities. Miracles don't happen to people that have a plan A, a plan B, and a plan C. Miracles happen to people that are desperate, that are vulnerable, that are humiliated, people that don't have anywhere else to turn. Miracles happen when you and I, like Peter, say, Lord, I have given everything I possibly can but now I'm going double or nothing on you. I don't have a plan B. I don't have a plan C. But there's some, another position we've got to be if we're going to be ready for a miracle, and that isn't just desperation. You might be here today, and your marriage is a mess, and you still think there's some way you can save it. If that's you, today's not your day. You're not ready for a miracle. Desperate people are people that experience miracles. But, but I want you to see something else, and, and that is you've got to be discerning. Can you say that with me? Say discerning. It says that Jesus got into, into one of the boats. 
Now, now I need your help today. I'm going to ask for a little bit of audience participation. Can I do that? Are we allowed to do that? All of you just look down. You're like, no, not me. Okay, how many, is there anyone here that has a quarter? Real quick, real quick, come on. I need a quarter. Anyone have a quarter? Any coin. I guess any coin will work. Anyone, come on, come on. All the men are just staring at me like, uh, the ladies are digging in their purse. Anyone got a quarter? That is a penny. Yes. Can I have a dollar? I'm kidding. No. So let me, let me ask you, do you think the crowd's pulling in? I mean, let's get in the context. And on the, on the shore are all these boats. And the Bible says that Jesus got into one of those boats. Now, do you think that, that Jesus, as the crowd was coming, he was like, oh man, I don't know what I'm going to do. Oh no, which boat should I get in? Eeny, meeny. Do you think Jesus did that? Do you think that, that Jesus flipped a coin, turned it over, and said, aha, heads, Peter, it's, it, it's your boat. I'm getting in your boat. Here you go, my friend. Thank you. Appreciate your generosity. I don't know what I would have done without that penny. So, so do you think that the author and finisher of our faith, the captain of our salvation, the sovereign God of time and circumstances just randomly got into the boat belonging to Peter? You see, before God's going to do a miracle in your life, He normally steps in your boat. And he, he sends an exploratory probe into your life to see if you are ready for the healing on the other side of this miracle. If you look in the New Testament, Jesus often asks people, do you want to be healed? Do you, do you, do you want restoration? Do you want a restored miracle? Are you really ready for the other side of God's miracle? And when Jesus gets in your boat, here's, here's what he normally does. And, and here's how you can know. Here's how you can be discerning and know. Before God's going to do a miracle in your life, he usually gets in your boat and he, he asks you to look past your limitations. Peter, push out. Oh, Lord, Lord. <laughs> Poor Jesus. He doesn't. He turned. He doesn't understand. I'm a fisherman. I'm a perfect. Lord, you don't know my problem. You don't know how long, how long I've been struggling. Lord, you don't know over and over again. I've given myself. I've exhausted myself. Lord, I have become a PhD in my problem. And Lord, if you will let me, I will explain my problem to you because you are an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present God who needs my explanation. And when Jesus steps in your boat before he does a miracle in your life, in your work, your marriage, your church, whatever it might be, he usually asks you to look past your limitations. But another thing that God often does is He asks us to take risks. Peter, push out a little bit. Peter gets out. Jesus teaches. After He's done teaching, He turns to Peter and He goes, Okay, now, now Peter, I want you to go into deep water. Oh, oh Lord, you, you don't... You don't understand. You ever heard that story about, uh, uh, about uh, you know, guys who went in, Jesus walked in a bar, and there was three guys in the bar stools there. And he, he went, sat down to the first person. He looked at him, and he said, how are you? And the guy said, I can't hear. I can't. 
Jesus touched the man's ear and he leaped up. He said, I can hear! I can hear! And he ran out of the bar. Jesus moved down one more bar step and, and there was a guy who says, how are you doing today? And he said, I can't speak. Jesus touched his mouth. The guy leaped up. He says, I can talk! I can talk! Jesus moved down to the next seat. The guy jumped up. He says, don't touch me, man! I'm on disability, right? <laughs> I've, become, I've become so used to my problem that I can't imagine life being healed. I can't imagine a life without depression. I can't imagine a life without discouragement. I can't imagine a marriage that is fulfilling. And Jesus usually asks you and I, before He does a miracle in our life, to push out into the deep waters of humiliation and failure, the places that we have been before, and He asks us to once again believe in something other than ourselves, Him. But they also require you and I to to act upon our faith and not our circumstances. Lord, I, I've been here before. Man, last night I, I went out there. Lord, you don't know how tired I am and how weary I am. And, and, and Lord, you don't know how this, this problem, this challenge has, has mastered me. But when Jesus is about to do a miracle in your life, He, he usually steps in your boat he makes life uncomfortable. Because what he's doing is finding out if we are ready to take responsibility for the healing on the other side. If you got it, say, I got it. Still in the second question, how do we position ourselves for miracles? There's one more thing that we can learn from Peter, and that is that we have to be postured in a position of surrender. If you put the Gospels in chronological order, you find that Jesus called Peter three times. Three times. He said, Peter, come and follow me. And every time Peter did. But when you follow the gospel narratives in chronological order, you find that Peter always found his way back at his nets. He was somehow there with Jesus and not there with Jesus. You know, sitting in the back of the church, you know, answering his email, whatever it might be, he's there, but he's not there. How many of you know believers like that? Go ahead and point at him. I'm kidding. Don't do that. And, and so, so something changes this time. This narrative tells us that Peter left his boat there and never went back to it again. You see, up until this time, Peter called Jesus teacher. All through the narrative, up until this point, he called him teacher. He respected Jesus. But now, now when the boats are full, finally Jesus says to him, Master! Because you say so, I will try again. Master, the one to whom I belong. Lord, this isn't my boat. This is your boat. You are the captain of my boat. But because you say so, I will do it. You know, people that experience miracles in their life are, are people that experience surrender. They give everything to God. They're tired of being the captain of their own finances. They're tired of being the captain of their checkbook. They're tired of being the captain of their marriage. They're tired of being the captain of their addiction. They finally say, Lord, Master, one to whom I belong. Because you say so. Not because my situation tells me something different. But because you say so, I will do it. 
And then the amazing thing happens, which brings us to this third question. What do miracles really do in our life? Why do you and I need, mir- need miracles? Why, why, you know, if, if there is anything that has happened in the past two years in the church of Jesus Christ, we have become so divided. We have become so strong-willed. We have become experts at everything except depending upon God. And so in this passage, we find this miracle. I mean, miracles change people. Have you noticed that? I mean, now Peter, he's changed. Before, he's kind of following Jesus back to the boats, following Jesus back to the boats. But, but now Peter, Peter is, is down on his, his knees worshiping Jesus. He left everything, everything, and followed Him. I remember growing up in a life of drugs and alcohol. You, you didn't need to beat me over the head and, and tell me I was a sinner. Believe me, I, I, I knew I was a sinner. I knew I was in too deep. I had tried everything I could to change my life, and I couldn't. And I'll never forget it. I was, I was just a couple months short of, of 16, and there were some, some teens at the church. I had been involved in a single-parent family. My mother had been through four divorces. We wandered the city during the night in drugs and alcohol. And, and these, these Christian kids, man, they were so nice. How many of you know? I, I was like, you know, Jesus freak, Jesus freak. I would tease them. And, and finally, they, they'd say, hey, you want to come to church? I'm like, no, Jesus freak, slap him in the back of the head, Jesus freak. And, and one day they just said, they said, hey, we're having a retreat for teens. Would you like to come? And I said, well, yeah, I, I don't know why I said that. I wanted to just grab my words and shove them back in my mouth. I'll never forget we went to that retreat. They were a bunch of uh, Catholics, ex-Catholics, who had experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And and uh, the Holy Spirit fell upon them and at a, at a Catholic retreat. They used to, are there any ex-Catholics here? You know about Crisios and their retreats that the Catholic Church did. And, and the Holy Spirit fell on these youth and these parents that were there. And the Catholic Church explained it and said, you know, you guys need to, you know, that wasn't nothing. That was, you know, then it happened again. And then the Catholic Church was like, you guys need to leave. You just need to leave. This God stuff's crazy. And so they turned these retreats into an evangelistic tool to reach other teens. And there was no pastor, no professional pastor. It was about 150 kids. And I remember uh, they said, okay, now we're going to go into the auditorium and, uh, and we were going to watch a, they, it was a slideshow. Some of you are like, what's a slideshow? If, if you don't know what a slideshow is, find someone old and ask them and they'll tell you. And, and I remember thinking, okay, I'm going to get in the back of the line so that when we go in, I will be in the back of the church. Have you ever, have you ever thought through that stuff? You're like, so I'm going to sneak into the back of the line. And they come out, they're like, okay, we're going into the church and we're starting from the end of the line to the front. And I was like right here, Pastor. I was like right here. And, and, and I remember there wasn't any mood music. There wasn't a band. There wasn't, there wasn't emotional conditioning. There was a slideshow of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. I remember sitting there thinking I have tried everything to change my life and I couldn't. My family doesn't want anything to do with me. He, he will die for me? And the love of God became irresistible. Pastor, I didn't know how to respond. I remember saying in that moment, I, I didn't understand the Bible. I didn't understand church. I, I remember saying, if, if He died for me, I will give my life to Him. I will give all 
of the little I have. And pastor, I climbed underneath the pew, and that day churches had pews, and there was this big old board that went down on the floor, and I, I stuck my face between the carpet and that board, and I cried, and I cried, and I cried, and I gave Jesus everything that I had. And pastor, when I got up from that chair, I cannot tell you what happened. I never had a craving for drugs again. I never had, had the lifestyle. I wanted new friends. I was changed because miracles change people. But we, we think that's it. Miracles don't just change your life. God wants to do more in a miracle than just bless your finances or your marriage or your children. God wants to change circumstances. I mean, not only was Peter changed, look at what happened. Nets that were torn were now filled and they were empty. Now they're filled. Boats that were one empty are now filled with fish. There's a stir. People are like amazing. God is, listen, miracles don't just change you. It changes everything about you. God wants to bring a miracle in your life, not just to bless you as a Westerner who always wants to receive. God wants to bless your work, your neighbors, your neighborhood, and everything around you. But lastly, miracles don't even just change people and circumstances. They change destiny. Jesus said to Peter, from now on. Can we all say those three words nice and loud? Let's just pretend, well, let's just pretend that we're at a Broncos game and we're winning, okay? From now on. Say it with me. From now on. Say it again. From now on. Say it one more time. From now on. Jesus said, Peter, from this day forward, you have a new destiny. From this day forward, you have a new calling. From this day forward, the trajectory of your life and your destiny is fundamentally changed. You know, your pastor honored me a few minutes ago, but can I tell you, I, I still can't get used to that title. 15-year-old kids on drugs and alcohol and fighting and hurting people. And... But at that day in my life, Jesus said to me, from now on. I'm going to ask if we could have the musicians come as we close this time together. Just softly play, if you would. You know, right now, Right now, God's people are missing the most incredible opportunities for miracles. We have never been at a time where the needs are so great and the challenges are so grand. We keep trying to make ourselves smart enough to solve our problems. We keep trying to make, get ahead of things and ahead of COVID and ahead of this. And, and, and the fact of the matter is, I believe with all my heart when I walk through these doors that God told me there are people here today, you need a miracle. There is something in your life that is beyond you and you have come to grips, you know it. Now listen, if you're here today and you're looking at your challenge and you're saying, well, I still can do this and I still, listen, God bless you, today's not your day. You're not ready for a miracle. Miracles happen when people are desperate. 
But I want to tell you something that if you need a miracle this morning, if you are desperate this morning, if you don't know what to do this morning, if you are tired this morning, if you are exhausted this morning, you could never be in a better place to receive a miracle from God. Maybe it's your job, your marriage, your own emotions. Maybe it's that pessimistic spirit that has conquered you your entire life and you need Jesus to look into your spirit and say, from now on, you are on a new trajectory. If you were there this morning, you know that Jesus is in your boat. And He's asking you to do things that just seem so hard and so illogical because you feel like you've been down this path a hundred times before. But I'm telling you, if you will turn to Him this morning and say, Master, not just teacher, but Master, this life of mine is your life. This boat is your boat. This marriage is your marriage. This job is your job. My wayward children are your children. Master, because you say, and for no other reason, because you say so, I will do it. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, I'm not here to embarrass you. I'm not here to draw attention to you. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman, and I must be one too. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you're hearing the sound of my voice and you say, Gene, man, I need a miracle this morning. I need, I need a solution that is bigger than my abilities or my intellect or my resources. I need a miracle this morning and I want, I want to obey Jesus and make myself and my life available to Him. He's in my boat this morning. He's challenging me this morning and I want to respond and say, Master, because you say so, I will do it. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here, you say, I need a miracle. Gene, just put your hand up high enough for me to see and say, I need a miracle. God bless you, friend, for your transparency. Any others? Gene, I need a miracle this morning. I need a miracle in my marriage, my finances. I need a miracle in my problems that I can't solve. God bless you. Thank you for your transparency. The Lord is honored by your your dependence upon him. Any others? Gene, I need a miracle this morning. I need an emotional miracle. I'm, I'm caught. I am caught in depression. I am caught in negativity. I cannot get out. I need the Lord to speak a new trajectory into my life. That's me this morning. Just raise your hand. God bless you. Thank you. You're here today and you need a physical miracle in your body. You need the Lord to do what doctors cannot do, what surgeries cannot do, what medication cannot do. You need God to do a miracle in your life this morning. If I'm speaking to you with every head bowed, every eye closed, just raise your hand and say, Gene, that's me. I need a miracle in my body this morning. I'm going to ask all of us to stand in a moment before I turn the service over to Pastor. And I'm going to ask you to stand as a symbol of your surrender. I'm going to ask you to stand because you're ready now to take the keys of your boat and hand them over to the Master and say, Lord, my life, my problem, my obstacles, they are yours, Master, the one to whom I belong. 
I'm going to ask every one of you to stand to your feet and I'd like to pray a very simple prayer over each and every one of you. Will you please stand as we... Father, Lord, it isn't about us. God, it's never been about us. Lord, we strain at the oars. We try so hard. We mend our nets. We polish our boats. But the fact of the matter is, Lord, we need You. Lord, there have been some people that have stepped out in transparency and humility this morning because they need miracles in their life. Lord, we need you to do what a government can't do. We need you to do what a political party can't do. We need you to do what resources can't do, or logic or intellect can't do, or what a career can't do. Lord, you are the master of our boat. You are the one to whom we belong. And I pray that this day will go down in history and many lives in this room today, a day when you, when you created a, a new trajectory, a new beginning, a new path, and we ask all of this in the strong and the faithful name of Jesus. Amen. Pastor. i
with moments that are too big for us. We're faced with situations or problems. Maybe they're things that we have done or things that have been done to us where it's just, we, we feel like we're at the end of our rope. We feel a lot like Peter. We've done all that we can do. And now we're sitting there with our heads in our hands going, God, I got nothing left. And it's almost like God in that moment goes, finally, now you're at the place where I can really do something big. And Father, we fight that because we don't want to be in that place of helplessness. We don't want to be in that place of total and complete dependence on you or anybody else. But it's in that place, Father, that you constantly, time and time again, do the things that only you can do. Father, our lives, this church, this country, we don't need what we can do. We need what only you can do. We've done what we can do, and obviously we look around and our world's a total mess. But God, when you do it, when you come and do what only you can do, the world is literally turned upside down for you. So, Father, this morning as a family, as individuals, Father, we invite you to come and just to do the thing that only you can do. 
we invite you in your timing and in your way to bring forth something that is totally and completely undeniably you and your power and your goodness, mercy, love, and miracles. And Father, we, we come expecting because you're a big God and you do big things. So Father, we're excited to see what you are going to do in these situations so that all honor and praise and glory doesn't go to us or our intellect or our figuring it out. It all goes to you. It's all yours. So Father, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this opportunity to come together and once again be encouraged and reminded about how big you are and that no matter what we face you are in control and we can trust you we love you we thank you in Jesus name Amen. Amen. Thank you, Gene, for bringing that message to us. Such an awesome, awesome reminder. Such an awesome thing that God wants to do. Well, listen, I hope you have a wonderful week. Again, thanks for being here. For those that are online, we love you. We miss you. We hope you have a wonderful God bless you, and we'll talk to you soon.